0: I want to jump into Mark 15, and uh, again, we're gonna we're gonna end this series in a few weeks, and it's gonna be about a Mark chapter 16 verse 8. And uh, the reason why eight is because the majority of scholars believe that's where the original text ended was verse eight. When you read the rest of Mark, it's nothing. There's nothing that contradicts the rest of the Gospels. To be honest with you, that's it's 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 fair to say that um, nothing is. Nothing is opposite of what the gospel says. And when you end on verse eight, you're left on a note of that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that is an important note. And so I'm saying that is because by the time we're finished today, we're going to be less than a chapter away from being finished. And I, I love that. I'm trying to wrestle and pray and ask God what, what next as a church. And I know the holidays are showing up and then Christmas. And you know what that means? You talk about Christmas and and, uh, but I want, if you're in Mark 15, I want you to turn there in your Bibles. It, it, uh, it, the, the New Living Translation is what I usually read. Um, there's a few today I'm going to be reading from the NIV as well. And, uh, if I remember right, on, oh, in the Christian Standard. Anyway, um, it might be a little bit different when we go through that, but it, it, I believe that Mark 15 might be the most sobering of all chapters in the Bible. You don't read it for fun. You don't read it for, um, I would say inspiring, uh, doctrine or to feel good. When you read Mark 15 as a reader, just as a reader, you, you, you leave going, yeah, I don't like what I'm reading. It's pretty graphic. It is pretty graphic. There is a lot that's going on in Mark 15. Jesus, the eternal son of God, that's all we believe as a church that he's not, that Jesus is not just, he didn't just start 2000 years ago. When he was born in a, in Bethlehem as a, as a baby, he had his beginning never. He's always eternally been existed. And he came into this world as the son of God who is a good God who came to die for sinners, right? We talked about that. And then he's accused, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's spit upon, he's crucified, and he's killed. Now, I read this this week many times, Mark 15, 1 through 20. And we're gonna read up to the point that Jesus is actually going on the cross. Because a lot happens before he goes to the cross. Okay, he there's many times people would die in the point that he's doing right here, being beat and spit upon. Many people would die before they even get to the cross. And uh I read a few quotes from known pastors about when what happens when they get to this passage of scripture. Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous pastor in history. He, while preaching it, in the middle of a sermon, he said here, and I love this, here we come to the holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. No man can rightly expound a passage such as this. That's great, right? What am I going to do? Expound on this? Uh, so something that you can go, wow, that's so amazing, okay? He goes, it is a subject for prayerful, heartbroken meditation. It's more than human language can grasp. So that's what we're going to deal with today. Basically, we stand on holy ground. We might as well take off our shoes as we read this because it is something that's sobering, but it's life changing. Okay. I, in my life, my goal is I want to experience God more, but even more than that. I want to encounter that love that we always talk about even more. I want to, I want to do whatever it takes for me to fall on my knees to worship this Almighty God who deserves it, who deserves my praise, who I sometimes hold back. And I want to give him more every single day. And I read stuff like today, and it helps. When I read chapter 15, maybe you have to go home and worship. I don't know. Maybe you'll need to worship in your house or in your car on the way home. Maybe. But um, another author wrote, Surely this passage is this passage of Scripture that we must approach on our knees. Our only response to this passage is hushed worship. And here we go, Right? This passage for the verse 20 verses of Mark 15, it's up to the point of the actual crucifixion. And I want to show you how this horrifying event, from a human perspective, like I said last week, it's like the end for Jesus. If you want to, if you want a humanistic look at Jesus, this is the end. If you don't survive this, you're done. The Messiah is done because they didn't actually, somehow they were blinded. They didn't know this suffering servant of of Isaiah 52 and 53. They didn't realize the Messiah would suffer. That he would die. They would be buried in a borrowed tomb. They didn't realize that when they saw this Jesus be killed, they said, well, obviously he's not the Messiah. Well, I go, where were you at church when you're, when you're rabbi, when they talked about Isaiah 52 and 53? Because that, those entire two chapters are about this coming person, this, this servant. Who's going to, who's going to be exalted and lifted up? But he's also going to be disfigured. Remember those, have you ever read those chapters? He's going to be disfigured. Why would this, this, this servant, why would he be lifted up as God? Because he is God, but he would be disfigured. Well, you're going to find out today that Jesus, in fact, before he even got to the cross, was disfigured. His face was unrecognizable. Okay. The closest I've got was when you see that, uh, the Passion of the Christ, even though, you know, it's like, oh, okay, that look, but even they, the makeup they used for Jim Caviezel was great in a in a, in a in a movie sense, because, I mean, they made his face just kind of swollen, that he was like, oh, he looks like a different actor when he's playing that part, and that's a, a slice of what Jesus would look like by the time he got to the cross, and so um, what I love about one of my favorite authors is Josh McDowell. Anybody heard of Josh McDowell? Josh McDowell, an author, I recommend him, and he's what you would, uh, people who are in uh, pastoral leadership is he is a guy who talks about apologetics, which apologetics is not apologizing; it's it's studying the facts of the faith, getting to the point, getting to the the uh, the meat of the truth of the gospel. He, Josh McDowell, when he was younger, he's an, he's an older gentleman now. His son has taken over the ministry, um, but Josh McDowell was an atheist who by the time that he got to read, write in this book, his point was to disprove Jesus and disprove and discredit the Bible and to say basically everyone that believes this story about the gospel, it's that you guys are a bunch of idiots and morons. That was his goal. And by the time that he got to his point where he finally said, he fell on his knees and he cried out to God saying, I believe. And for for... for 50, 60 years, I don't know how long, for years, since the 70s. He has been, he has been uh, reaching out to the lost. His son is now part of that. And, uh, I, I would, I would recommend reading, um, the, the book that's called, uh, what's it called? Um, this one's good, but a, More Than a Carpenter. Anybody read More Than a Carpenter? It's basically this book book and it's it's very slim and small you can read it and understand it and it's basically saying who Jesus is historically basically some evidences of Jesus being who he really is in history. This book is called the the evidence that demands a verdict. I I, I would okay I would be very careful to I recommend it but I wouldn't recommend reading it from cover to cover as a normal book. It's a textbook. Okay, as Alice said before we started here, she said, great. It's like a, it's like one of those books that you have to go, okay, I want to look for a specific subject and then find it in that book. I would recommend it because it's a ref, thank you, it's a reference book. And when I was first a Christian, I went through this and, uh, it changed my life. Now I'm saying that is because one of the reasons why Josh McDowell became from an atheist to a Christian, because I always want to know that. What takes a person that's an atheist trying to disprove the gospel? Because the atheists that I've seen in my life, or I've heard, they're so mean about it. They're evangelists for anti-God. They say, if you're, you know, in my opinion, it's like, if there's no God, why even waste your life doing what you're doing? But they're so hateful about it, that if you believe in God, you're an idiot. You're wasting your life. You're a moron. You are. You don't even have a brain. What makes a guy go from that to actually believe in it? And one of the reasons why is what you're going to find out today too is that when you look at the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and then you take that story and you set it aside for just a moment, then you go back in time 700 years, and you read the book of Isaiah, among others, but you read the book of Isaiah, you figure out that this Jesus, there's specific, there's specific prophecies that are actually, there's over 300 specific prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus' life, his death, his actual burial in the borrowed tomb, his resurrection. It was, it was predicted and there was a prophecy about it and there was a vision from Isaiah about this person that's going to show up in the future. When you read the gospel, why do I say it? When you read the gospel, see, some of us have been Christians, too, including myself. We just take it for granted. This is how Jesus lived. This is how he, see, some people don't believe this stuff that we read. Have you noticed that? Some people don't buy in. Some Christians don't even buy into the stuff that we teach. They go, ah, oh, I just want enough of Jesus just to get to heaven, but don't, I don't, don't, God, don't ask too much from me. And so we we don't, we believe in him. On paper, we don't believe in him right here. And that's why I want to focus on today is the fact that we reject Jesus like the people of his day rejected him. So here we go. Mark chapter 15. You guys ready? You're like, you've been ready five minutes ago. That's fine. Mark 15, verse 1 through 20. It says this. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. Remember Peter uh, not Peter but um, uh Judas Iscariot kissed him on the cheek they grabbed Jesus they bound him and led him away to this court this this place and they finally just ask him questions and now they're going now we need to do something with them so what they do is they go up a higher step in the political realm okay and uh, they they met to discuss their next step because they want to kill him, but they're like, how are we going to do this? So they bound Jesus even more. They led him away and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, pause. I want to say this before I even read read this. I like Pilate. If you read him, he doesn't buy into all their baloney that these religious people are. They're like, you guys are making this all up because of jealousy. That's all it is. You want the power and you don't like his power, and he sees it for what it is. So for the finally, for the last couple of weeks, we've seen a bunch of people make stupid choices. Finally, Pilate, he's actually one that is considering, hmm. Now, what he does to Jesus, he just cares more about their public opinion than he does himself. Washes his hands of it, I'm done, right? But he goes, Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what they're calling him. As they arrested him, you're the king of the Jews. We bow down. And Jesus, the only thing he said in, in chapter 15 was this phrase. You have said it. In other words, I haven't, I don't have to say it. You proclaimed it. They proclaimed it. You said I was the king of the Jews. You're calling me that. You called me that. Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, well, aren't you going to answer them? What about these charges that are bringing, they're bringing against you? But Jesus said, nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. He said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Why? Because when you're accused of something that you did not do, if you're Pilate, you're used to going, now you stop here. Everybody stop and listen to my story. This is my side of the story. What they're saying is baloney. This is who I really am. And Jesus decides, as we talked about last week, he did the same thing. I would have to put duct tape over my mouth to not be able to say anything. Literally. I would maybe even have to take out my voice box to not be able to say something. If someone accuses me of something I did not do, I can't help it but to defend myself. Anybody else there? I'm there. But Jesus goes, nope. Nope. Not saying anything. Now that takes, we talked about that. We we talked about last week. That takes self-discipline, but it also takes a confidence in God's plan. That he knows God's plan is to get him to the cross to die. That's the plan. Not to continue on his teaching ministry. Not to continue to be on this planet to heal and do all that, even though that's what he did while he's on earth. And he does still, we can still learn from Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit and the word, and he still heals, he delivers, he does all that. But his main purpose, we'll learn today, was not that. The main purpose was to go to the cross and die for us. That's the main purpose. Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the government, and I do not understand this part of the story. Why in the world would you do this? But listen, now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. <sighs> You're like, and I know Ted Bundy's long gone, but it's like, because this Barabbas is like Ted Bundy. He's a, he's a murderer, okay? I'm thinking that Ted Bundy guy over there. Yeah, release him. Go ahead, put him back on the street. Don't tell that the people from Tacoma, Right? Don't tell the people that been, that their families were, were affected by it. I don't get it. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed, mur- what did he do? Murder in an uprising. Not only is he going against the government, I don't know the whole story behind, backstory of him, but he, he led a revolutionary and he murdered. And the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release the prisoner as usual. And this is where Part of this is I think that Pilate thought they were going to release Jesus. Oh, I don't know what to do with him, so maybe they'll say release this Jesus guy. So the crowd went to Pilate. They asked him, to "Release the prisoner." Would you like me to release to you this King of the Jews? Pilate, asked. look at this little prayer, parental statement. For he realized by now that the leading priests had been arrested. They have arrested Jesus out of envy. He didn't buy the story. That's part of the reason why I like it because he actually has a brain for himself. He has a brain for himself. Now, he lets the crowd dictate his actions. But he told them, I'm going to wash my hands of this. He realized they were just jealous. But at this point, the leading priest, who, who is it that's doing the stirring up in the crowd? The religious people. Let's let's modernize it. The pastors, the Sunday school teachers, the small group leaders. The 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 board, the worship team, you know how they can really stir up the pot. They're just taking this and they're just stirring up the crowd. The religious people, the teachers of religious law, they stirred up the crowd by demanding the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pause. Who is Barabbas? What did he do? He's a murderer. Who did Jesus? He is the King of the Jews. If they call them that they called him that. He didn't give himself that title. They gave it to him. He's the king of the Jews. We know him as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who came here in love to die for the sins of the world so that they, that we, can have right relationship with God. They would rather kill that guy than this murderer. Man. I guess a side thought to this whole thing is how dangerous is a hard heart Listen, if you have, and and only you can admit this, because I've admitted this in my life, there are times where my heart has been hardened. That you can't really see Jesus for who he really is, even when he's right next to you, right in front of you. You can't see him for who he really is. Who is Jesus? He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he loves you. But if you can't see that, it's because your heart is too hard. Those people who are commenting in YouTube and Facebook and all that kind of stuff about how bad God is, It's because they have a hard heart. And they have to give them give God an inch, and you'll see that your hard heart is going to soften up, and you're going to see Jesus for who he really is. You can't read this and go, this Jesus hates me. You can't read it. You can read it and go, he loves me. Okay? Pallet asked the crowd, then what should I do with this man that you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him! I like this. Why? Give me some evidence. Pilate demands, what crime has he committed? He knows that Jesus is innocent. Yet he still kills him. Because I think, here's my quick answer to that. Well, other than the fact that he just wants to please the crowd, God's will needs to be done. Period. Nobody, what if, what if they said, you're right, we're gonna put him, some, he has to die for the sins of humanity. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder. Crucify him! So to pacify the crowd, what? To calm them down, to make them happy, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Notice who's not doing the killing. (laughs) Pilate. So he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then he turned them over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium, and he called out the entire regiment. They dressed Jesus in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! They're mocking him. I want you to experience this. Imagine that you're there watching this. If you're, you have friends of yours, or you have people in your life, or maybe even you have this small little ounce of belief that God hates you, or God is mad at you, who is the, who is he dying for? He's dying for the people just like them who are taunting him, who are mocking him, who spit upon him. That's who he's dying for. What do you think about the people who are crucifying, who know not what they do, according to Jesus, they still at that point, I don't know what happened to them, but they still at that point have an opportunity to repent of their sin and to be saved. There may be one or two of them that crucified Jesus that will be in heaven when we get there. And we'll meet the one that was the one that actually put the nail in his wrist and his, in his foot. Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick. What was already on his head? The crown of thorns. So what they do? Hit it even harder so it goes into his skull. There's blood. As hard as they could. And then they spit on him. They drop to their knees in what? Mock worship. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, almighty God. You think you're God. We bow down. That's mock. How bad is that compared? I mean, you could ignore God fine. If you ignore God, you're left to your own devices, but imagine you're mocking God in mock worship. How bad is that? How bad does a heart have to be to mock Jesus in worship? And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, they put on his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. Now, one of Mark's purposes, and maybe the purpose of Mark is not just to see his action, because that is part of the story. See that Jesus was a man of action, that he was a a game changer. He he changed people's lives. He went around and he changed people. But by the time that you get to chapter 14, 15, and 16 in the book of Mark, you notice things change. And the reason why is because he wants to zoom in on the point. And he wants us to realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of this we'll talk about it in just a second. He's the fulfillment of this servant of Isaiah. Isaiah didn't know who it was. He couldn't quite understand the concept of it. He just heard from God, he wrote it down, and for cent- for 700 years, 7 centuries after Isaiah, people were waiting for a Messiah and Jesus showed up on the scene and what he is if you look at all the story here, he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 52 and 53. And in fact, Jesus knew that was going to happen. Look at Mark chapter 10. If you rewind the story of Mark for just a minute, Mark 10:45, 5 chapters before this, Jesus admitted he knew why he's here. Okay? He wasn't here to teach. That wasn't the main purpose. He wasn't here to heal. That was his main purpose, even though he did those things. He wasn't here to be a, a, you know, come to me and I'll give you all this food, even though he did that, okay? He still provides. He still heals. He still teaches. That's not his main purpose, Jesus, it says, for even the Son of Man himself, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others. And what? What was his purpose? To give his life. Everybody say, give his life. Give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I just, I, I find this, this line, for a ransom for many, very curious here. When I was in college, one of the, uh, one of the, I think the things we had to do. I'm trying to think of exactly what it was, but the teacher would say, "Go to a church that you're not used to. It's a different. It's a different um, style. It's a different way of doing things. If you're Pentecostal, go to a Catholic church. If you're Pentecostal, go to a Baptist church. Go to a Seven Day Advent. Just go to somewhere different." So one day, me and my roommate, it snowed, so I was like, "I'm not driving anywhere." And it doesn't snow a lot there, but I am not driving from my the church from the, the college to the church which was, you know, a good 30, 40 miles away. So we decided to take a walk, and we went to a universalist, universalism church. Does anybody know what that is? They believe that Jesus died once and for all, so no matter what you do, you're saved. Everyone's saved. All across the board. Hitler's saved. You're saved. You don't have to repent. You don't have to do a thing. You just are saved because Jesus died for all. Now I'm throwing that out because I read this story and it's, it totally reminded me of of that church, but the opposite. Okay, Jesus came to give His life as a ransom for how much? Many, huh? Not all. What do you mean? What do you mean, many? Jesus knows some people are going to reject Him. People, Jesus knows that that many people are going to be hard-hearted and not receive. Okay, so you don't just you know, oh, I can do anything I want. I can live like the devil and I can sin and sin's no big deal. Jesus took care of sin. I can do whatever I want. Is that really what the gospel's about? No. We realize through the Bible, how is someone, when you realize that I am stuck, I'm I'm stuck before God, if I don't recognize that it's this Jesus who died for me, it is enough But I realized, what is it? It's my sin. I need to give it to him. I need to repent and give it to him. And it is enough. I am saved. But he gave, what's his purpose? His purpose is not only to serve others, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus knew, I am here very temporarily. And he kept telling his disciples, hey, get ready. I'm going to die. No, 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 no. You can't do that, Peter. Peter said that no, no. And Jesus, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, right? You know, come on, Peter. Let's fight this. Don't be stupid. No, he said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have you. You don't even you. You don't even see the will of God. You don't even have plan. You don't know God's plans. God's plan is send His Son to this earth to die as a ransom for many. Now, he knew his purpose. Jesus is very clear why he came. Now, as we get to Isaiah 52, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 52, if you can find it. And what we're going to do, when you see Isaiah, when you read Isaiah, I want to give you a heads up. The book of Isaiah is interesting because there's, there's it's it's a two-sided coin in the book of Isaiah. The first side of the coin is, my people are so far from me, they deserve judgment. And he goes, and judgment's coming. God is warning the people, judgment is coming. But the second side of the coin is great. (laughs) He's going, you're not going to be able to forgive yourself. Someone has to pay the penalty for your sin. So I'm going to send a servant. I'm going to send a man. I'm going to bring a man into your presence, and he is going to be this guy who is going to be lifted up? He's going to be raised. He's going to be elevated. He's going to be. People are going to going to lift him up and focus on him. But he's also going to be a man that's going to be beat. He's also going to be a man that's going to be unrecognizable. Some of the you're going to be very familiar with some of these words here. Isaiah 52. Look at verse 13 through 15. And remember this. This is 700 years before Jesus. So read it with that idea. Who Jesus is. Okay. Jesus. The Isaiah says, "See, my servant." Okay, this guy, he's talking about some guy that's not there yet because he, he's, he's talking about future tense. Look at this. My servant will be successful. Not is successful. He can't be talking about Isaiah. He's saying my servant will be successful. He will be raised and he will be lifted up and he will be greatly exalted. Pause right there. I want you to focus on those words before we get to the next part. Who is this Who is this, this man? Who is this servant? He's a servant who's going to be raised. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be greatly exalted. Okay? That's the first side of the coin about Jesus. People do worship him. They do exalt him. We, we raise our hands. We raise our lives. We say, Lord, we praise you. We lift you up. We exalt your name, Jesus. Do we not do that? Do we not exalt him as Lord and King and God? So this man is not just going to be a regular man. This man who Isaiah is looking in the future, he's going to be greatly lifted up. He's going to be raised. He's going to be, he's going to be exalted. But here it goes. Just as many were appalled at you, this servant, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. Pause. How many of us have read that before? Have you ever read that before? Huh? I mean, sometimes we've heard this, and sometimes Isaiah is one of those books that many people, a lot of people, haven't just sat there and read from chapter one to the end. It's an interesting study, I believe, if you would take some time to read Isaiah with these, with this filter about Jesus fulfilling it. Okay, and, and this next part, I'm not. I wish I could have time to talk about this last, this next part. It's an interesting He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what they had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. I want to, th- that's an interesting phrase, and I won't get into that because it's very, um, you, I would have to dig a little bit deep to get to that last part, but I, I want to focus on this man. First of all, he's so disfigured that he didn't look like a man. He didn't resemble a human. My question is, what happened to this man? What happened to the servant? If he's lifted up, he's raised up, he's greatly exalted, and in the same phrase he says, but this man, he's going to be very disfigured that you're not even going to recognize him as human. He's going to be a blob of flesh with a bunch of blood. He's going to be beat. He's going to be tortured. He's going to do all this stuff, which we'll see in just a second. He's going to do it for Israel. He's going to do it for the people of God. Okay. So what happened to this servant that didn't even exist at that time? Well, when you read the gospel, and since we're reading Mark, when you read Mark 15, you realize that that is exactly what happened to Jesus. Now, in just a, I want to take a moment because this is going to be a little bit graphic. Okay. Because over the years in my life, I've wanted to know what would the crucifixion and what would this arrest, what would this trial and this beating, what would it look like? Because for me, maybe not for you, but for me personally, and that's why when I watched The uh, Passion of the Christ, when I saw Jesus, and it's an actor, I mean, I've seen movies with Jim Caviezel that he, when he wasn't Jesus. Okay, and I like him. Is he my favorite actor? No. But the one reason why I like that movie, well, one, re- I wish that they would have filmed it in English, but that's beside the point. I don't want to read the whole thing. Anyway, but um is how graphic it really was. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I wanted a, I might needed my mind to see exactly or a picture of what Jesus went through for me. Because it wasn't just, you know, oh, they just put a man up there and Jesus just went, okay, he's dead. Like there was a lot more than that. By the time he got to the cross, he was almost dead. And when you see how bloody he is, how horrible it is, you realize that he went through that horrific stuff for you and for me. In fact, I mean, when you look it up, Roman crucifixion, what they would do is they would bound the prisoner before the crucifixion. They would scourge him. What that means is that they would strip him of his clothes. Most of the times they were naked along a post, bound him to this pole. But for Jesus, since they're mocking him, They stripped him of his clothes. Then they put this purple robe around around him because people claimed that he was king of the Jews. So they're going to mock him in this robe. Majesty. So what they would do is they would would bound this guy. They would put him on there. And then they would be beaten with a leather whip. And what it doesn't say is what the leather whip was woven with. It was woven with bits of metal and bone. A whip, a leather whip would hurt by itself. It would hurt. Right? I mean I've had when we're when we're growing up, me and my friends were a bunch of idiots. We we would like slap each other. We'd go in the front yard and we'd box with our with with, like uh snow gloves. Bunch of morons, that's what we were. But we realized that, you know, I'm like, here, slap me as hard as you can, and then you get it like we're idiots, but it would hurt. But I want you to imagine Jesus being whipped by this whip with bone and metal. And this is where it's going to get a little bit, if you're not used to this, you might want to hold on. Because what the whip would do is not just going to whip you and it's done. When you take the whip and you whip them on their back, Jesus was tied to a pole like this. And they would take the whip and they would whip his back. And as the leather and the bone and the metal hit the back, it would grab on and cling on to the back. You couldn't, it it wouldn't just bounce off. It clung onto the skin and was stuck. So how do you get it out? You pull. Now I, I apologize for this, but I want to, this is this is I want you to be able to see in your mind's eye what Jesus went through for us, because what would happen is according to doctor, according to some doctors who have studied um, the, the, the history of Roman crucifixion. Is as they were pulling it back, you would take off the skin and expose bones. You would expose your 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 lungs and other organs. You would uh, all you would uh, your your all these bones that are right here in your chest. You would be exposed to that in the elements, you, you, and then they would mock them by spitting. And what would happen with that is dirt would get in inside. These it's horrific. Why do I say that? Because I'm sick for that. No. Because that is what Jesus went through for you and for me. In fact, not only that, but Mark 15, 17 says that the soldiers wove a crown made of thorns and shoved it into his head. And then verse 19, they struck his head with a reed stick. They would spit in his face. They fell to their knees in mock worship. They mocked our king, the one who would die for them they would just realize what they're doing. If they would just repent of, them, of their sin, they would realize that Jesus is the one who's dying for them. While we're still sinners, what? Christ died for us. Did Christ die for the ones who killed him? Of course. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them? Are you kidding me? How many of us would do that? I wouldn't. That might say a lot about me. But if I'm getting beat, I'm saying, Father, forgive everyone else, just not that guy. Can you imagine being that guy in heaven and standing in front of Jesus? You know what? I think Jesus, I know Jesus would embrace him. Because he goes, you don't even know what you were doing you were playing into the hands of God Almighty, the will of God. And even though you were doing something horrible, you were doing the will of God, according to Isaiah 52 and 53. Okay? Now, one doctor, I read it this week, in an article of the science behind um, crucifixion, he said this what it would look like after the flogging it's an unrecognizable mass of torn bleeding tissue from head to toe So another you're getting he's getting beat from one side he's getting whipped from the other he is unrecognizable according to this physician that studied the history of Roman crucifixion Now this is the scene from Mark 15 but if you travel 700 years before that Isaiah had a vision of a man who was in the future to him. Someday, this guy's going to show up. He's going to be what? High and lifted up. He's going to be exalted. Pause. I wanted to focus on that for just a moment because it's huge. This man, if you read Isaiah 52 and 53, this servant, he's not just a man. He's not just some random guy that decided he's walking around Jerusalem one day and he goes, I'll be that guy. No, he was going to be handpicked from God. He was going to be from God. Why do I know that? Because he will be raised. He will be lifted up. He will be exalted. And if you read the book of Isaiah, it says that multiple times, raised and lifted up, exalted. He is high and lifted up. And every time, 100% of the time that it d- describes that, it's always describing God Almighty. Okay? In fact, it's not on the screen because I put it later on my notes. Isaiah six one. Write it on your notes. Isaiah 6.1. You know this. You've heard this one. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Almighty God, L, capital L, all the way capital, Lord, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe, what? Filled the temple. And that they were these angels, these creatures who cried out night and day, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is, this is just but one of many instances in Isaiah when it talks about God Almighty being lifted up and exalted and praised and worshiped. Then you get to this chapter right here. And yet again, the same exact language raised, lifted up, greatly exalted. Because he is more than a man. But at the same time, he's unrecognizable. The two-sided coin for Jesus. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But at the same time, he's unrecognizable. Now, I kind of thought about this this week. I was thinking, we think about the scars on his hands and his feet. What about the scars on his back? Because, I hope I don't know if this is true, but I hope that it's, it'll be a great reminder for all of us to say, "Lord, that example right there that you're, you're showing yourself—that was for me. That was for you. You didn't. You were disfigured. I mean, they, doctors—they described the scene as exactly that. He, that's what it was." even before he got to the cross so who is this jesus pastor don't that's a dumb question who is jesus no no is he a teacher yes but that's not his main point is he a man of great doctrine yes but that wasn't the main point was he a healer yes does he still heal yes was that his main purpose no his main purpose was Right here, to suffer for you and for me. Why? So that you can, you and I can be in right relationship with God. When you go, that's why you, that is why you can be confident and be bold before the throne of God when you get to heaven. You don't have to tiptoe and go, sir, how are you? You know, you don't have to do that. Give me, can I have this bowl of soup, please? You know, it's not that. We go to God boldly, Why? Not because of our goodness, because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. He did the work for you. And if you don't recognize that, then your heart is too hard. And if, and here's how do you, how do you respond to a hardened heart? Just for a moment. Open up that hardened heart just for a second and see what the Lord will do in your life. Jesus, who is Jesus? He's a man who suffered for you and for me so much that he's unrecognizable. But he's also the king of glory who deserves all the praise and all the worship. 53, Isaiah. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, this servant, this man, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And here we go. He, the servant, he's going to be despised and rejected by mankind. He's a man of suffering. He's a man who's familiar with pain. He's like he's like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. I can't even look at you. You're too ugly. No, I can't watch this. Oh, 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 no. He was despised and we held him in what? Low esteem. The main, the first of who Jesus is. First, God revealed Jesus to the world, but people rejected him. That's a dust statement because they killed him. The very people that God gave Jesus to are the ones that arrested him and put him on the cross. Now, for you, how do you reject God? It's even more dangerous than just turning your back on God. Some of us, we want just enough of Jesus to get to heaven, but we reject the hard parts of the kingdom of God. You don't need to raise your hand, but some of us, over the years, we've we if we're honest, we could say, I just want enough of Jesus to get to heaven. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want him to expect too much from me. Because I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to sacrifice some things in my life because I like this. I like my life. And unfortunately, I don't like the statement of Jesus. Says if you don't, he said something crazy. If you don't hate your life, you can't be his disciple. What does that mean? If you can't look and say, God, I desire your will be done. And this is the statement I'll say that some people, maybe you watch online, you're like, I'm done. Because Jesus' will and the will of God is infinitely better than my will and your will. But the problem is, it's often, it is hard. When I first became a Christian, I decided I want to live for God. I had to do specific things in my life. I had to rearrange my life in order to accomplish it. And it wasn't easy. And it still is not easy. But that's how we reject him. God gave Jesus to us, but we reject him by saying, Lord, is it possible that I could just have enough of you so I don't go to hell? But don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to forgive that person. Don't ask me to do that. That's too hard. That's how we reject Jesus. Because Jesus, you died for me. You, you were beat. You were whipped. Unrecognizable. You were disfigured for me. And yet you're not worthy enough for me to say, Lord, your will be done, not mine. You're, you're not worthy enough. How about we have enough? How about, Lord, we have more worship songs? That's easy. And for me, I always say this. I love worship. I love songs. I love music. I'll sing it. I don't care what people say. I don't care how bad my voice is. I'll do, I don't care. I used to. What, what form of worship's harder than that? My life. Why? So I can earn salvation? No. Because it's the only appropriate response to the scene that we just read in Mark chapter 15. It's the only response. What's my response? Outright worship. Falling on my knees, according to that pastor who preaches centuries ago, you know, Surely this passage of scripture we must approach on our knees. Our only passage to this pass, the response to this passage is hushed worship. That's the only response. Anything else, if I make it about me, it's cheap. We, it's cheap worship. Verse four through six. Surely he, who's he? This servant. But if you read it with the eyes of Jesus and the story of the gospel, it makes sense. He, the servant, took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. You're stricken by him and afflicted. In other words, Jesus, you're on the cross. Boy, you must be one of those guys who are very punished by God because who who allows that to happen? A uh, One that is sinning against God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Whose transgressions? Ours. Not his own. Our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Our iniquities. Not his own. He didn't have any. I want you to notice that this man, it's it's, it's not even mentioning his own sin because this man won't have any. That's how you know Jesus was who he said he was. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. I love that phrase. The punishment that brought us peace. What did the peace is? What is the peace? The peace of relationship between me and God. As, as Billy Graham always said, he says, you can have peace with God. I wish I had the accent that he had. And by his wounds, we are healed. We're all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him who's him the servant the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so if you're a christian right now this is the only appropriate response thank you lord for laying upon yourself the iniquity of us all that this this the stupidity that i have done in my life as weird as it sounds i don't have to pay that back paid in full it is finished. So the second point about Jesus and this suffering servant, he will be slaughtered so that you can be saved. And as I read Isaiah 53, the only appropriate word is the word slaughtered. Not killed. Not murdered. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Reading Isaiah 53, slaughtered is the most correct word. He bore our suffering he took our pain. He was stricken by Him. He was crushed for iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded so that we could be healed. Listen to me. Jesus died instead of you. If you read this entire that entire verse, that He was, you know, He was pierced for this. He was, He was crushed. He was wounded. He was this by His stripes. If you read that, the reason why it said that is because. He took the punishment on your behalf, so that you could be in right relationship. We could be healed in our relationship with God. Period. And when you're healed of that relationship, the separation that that sin brings to you, you are whole. Period. He will be slaughtered so that you can be saved, so you can truly live. Verse seven. A couple more verses will be done. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Hmm. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation protested? Who of his disciples protested? No, don't do that! None. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. See, notice it's not his grave. He was assigned it. He was given it. Someone else's. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. One of the things that Jesus did. Jesus will suffer and die in sinless silence the only time that he ever spoke during this time was to say, you've said it so. It was almost didn't need to be said, but he says, hey, I didn't say it. I didn't make that up. You said it. And then after that, silent. Like a lamb led to slaughter. He could have defended himself, but he didn't. The last couple of verses. Yet, here it is. The very thing that they did, they killed him, thinking that they were doing a service to God. Oh, this is not this is not your son. It was not it was not a service. It was actually doing the will of God. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will listen. Here it is. He will not be dead for a long time. Listen, he will be raised to life. How do I know that? Because, in though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. Will prolong his life. Why? Because his life will go on. He will be raised to life. And who is the offspring of God? You're a child of God. Because he died. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. Think about the dead body of Christ in the tomb the light of life into that body and he will be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities hmm as you close your eyes the last thought and we'll be we'll pray is Jesus' sacrifice is the way to satisfy God so that we can be saved. It is the way to satisfy this God. The judgment of God, the wrath of God. Do we deserve the wrath of God? Yes. Did did, Did I deserve the wrath of God? Yes. Have I been stupid in my life? Yes, you better believe it. Have I done things to dishonor God? You better believe it. But in God's goodness... He sent his son to die for us, to be beat with an inch of his life before he even got to the cross. This, this story didn't even mention the cross yet. But it's the only way to satisfy God so that we can be saved. Father, I praise you. Jesus, you've done way more than enough for me. You are more than enough for me, God, for us. And any other response than pure worship is cheap. Any, any, anything else. If I say my will is even more important than yours, if I, if I don't say that, but I live it out like that, then it's just cheapening what you've done on the cross. You died for me, God. You died for us. And Lord, the only correct response is pure worship, not just from our mouth, but from our lives, the way that we live. And God, when we sin, because we will, when we sin, we realize that as displeasing, and dishonoring God, and we repent of it, and we give it to you, Lord God, and you help us to let us go on this straight and narrow path every single time. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You're not going to want to miss next week. It's the crucifixion. I don't want to listen to that one. That one's stupid. No, it's not stupid. It's good.